me whenever she touched me. You know I feel so lucky. Oh. Yeah.
welcome to the weekly review. It's Roman. It is Friday, September 2nd, 2016. Thank you so much for listening in, coming at you from Mutiny Radio here in the Mission District of San Francisco, 21st in Florida. Come by if you would like. We're also able to take phone calls at 415-550-0511. It's been uh, an interesting week, a lot of things happening, as per usual, and uh, yeah. So we start off the show with um, a song by Trance Smith called Submit, and you can find that on YouTube as well as Facebook. Uh, you just type in Trance, Trance Smith Submit, it's the Eric Power B Pressure mix, so I wanted to play that. feels like it's been a, uh, it's a long time, I was here last week, but it feels like it's been a really, really long week. So we'll be getting into some news stories, and later on in the program, we will be speaking with David V. Moore. And David was at the Moorhead Pride and was one of the organizers uh, there at Moorhead, Kentucky, Eastern Kentucky. Uh, so we'll be talking about that later, and uh, looking forward to hearing about that. It'll take me a while, as per usual. Well, not, I shouldn't say as per usual. Sometimes I come in and I'm like raring to go. Other times it takes me some more... Like, a little bit of time just to, like, warm up, perhaps, and start talking. I'm more of a night person, so as it is the afternoon, it takes me a while to wake up a little bit. I have had coffee. I worked out this morning, which is very calming from what one's mind. I can sometimes come here without getting any exercise, and I'm a little bit more agitated, and now I feel a little bit more calm. And, you know, not that there's anything wrong with not being calm, because we do live in a in some ways dystopian world with a lot of violence and where things are really backwards. And I think things are beginning to change, hopefully, at least more and more people are waking up. And some of the stories that we'll be talking about today go into that. So I think that's really important to recognize that folks are beginning to wake up and uh, realize the the way things are here, at least in the United States, are <sighs> there's been a lot of lies that have been taught and told and a lot of brainwashing that's happened uh, here and in order to kind of change things, we need to address the, these systemic issues. And that's kind of a theme of the show. As always, one major theme is people in positions of authority who mess things up for the rest of us. That's a very common theme, whether that be law enforcement or politicians or folks with, with power or what we perceive to be power or with capital. And they end up destroying the earth and or other humans. This could be weapons manufacturers. There can be a lot of ways for folks to do this. And I think that's the biggest issue. But then also, one thing to recognize is that they are not in the majority. Maybe some people who support them, they have you know support that way. But at the end of the day, uh, it's... And I don't want to like move into the us versus them narrative. But I do feel that it's important to recognize the people who... Uh, control the wealth or control weapons or uh, start wars or create reasons to start wars and how that impacts the rest of us, it's important to hold them accountable and at least talk about it. And that's been happening for a long time. There have always been war resistors and folks who have spoken out. So it's not to say it's anything new, uh, just a pressure to, there should be pressure to continue that and to not elect anyone. I do feel like Vote, I, I'm very skeptical of the whole electoral process as well, so recognizing that doesn't solve everything, but to, um, if folks are going to take part in the system, to recognize that we should not support people who are uh, war profiteers and whose main idea to you know, solve problems is with violence. That's, that's where I stand, and I know I'm not alone in that. Um, somewhere else I'm not alone is uh, 
Colin Kaepernick. I don't talk about sports very often on this program unless athletes are doing something that I'm like, wow, this is really cool to talk about. And I grew up following, I was really into professional basketball, a little bit into baseball, a little bit into hockey. And then football was probably my least favorite of the professional sports of the other of those four, I should say. I know there's more than that, but, and fo- I think part of it was that I never played football growing up. So I had less to relate to. I played basketball, I played softball, I played floor hockey and I didn't really play football. So I think there's that part of me was like a little bit less, less likely to relate to it. Although I did happen to live in Chicago in the eighties. So I was there when the, <laughs> the bears won the super bowl. I was there for the super bowl shuffle. I was a kid. Don't remember much about it, but remember the player named the fridge. Anyway, Football and I, uh, and then also just, uh, it's a problematic league. There's a lot of problem, problematic things in the world. And then also thinking about the, the money um, and the energy and the time that is invested in a lot of professional sports. And I recognize a lot of people rally behind it. It brings people together. And then it's also, I feel, in a lot of ways, can also be a distraction. So when there are athletes, professional athletes who do speak out, um, about important issues, I think that's wonderful and like to champion that and, uh, lend our support (laughs) and lend my support. Uh, so Colin Kaepernick, who of course has decided to not stand up for the national anthem, I think is awesome. Uh, big shock there. I know for longtime listeners, wow, Roman, wow. And, um, I think that's really awesome too. And there's also been a lot of discussion on online about how, there are certain people who criticize people for protesting and the way people protest where, you know, if people block the freeways and people are like, why are you blocking the freeways? Do something else. And then people sit down during the, the national anthem and be like, well, why are you doing that? That's disrespectful. And it seems it's pretty much not about how people protest, but a lot of people are just upset that people are protesting and bringing up issues that a lot of people don't want to talk about or discuss. So uh, I think that's just, it's very hypocritical to be like, oh, just the people who say you cannot protest a certain way. And then when someone chooses a different way to protest, that also seems to not be uh, okay, which is ridiculous. I, of course, am like for (laughs) most forms of protest. I support that. Absolutely. Ah, and uh, that's great. Also, Colin Kaepernick is not alone, so I'll be reading about some other players who have joined him. Also, he was at practice, and uh, he was wearing socks that had pictures of it was a pig with a police cap on. Those were his socks. So he's really going going out there, and I think that's pretty brave and awesome. And there's a lot of the SFPD are calling for an apology because... <sighs> You know, it's like they, which is just ridiculous. It's like they, I'm trying very hard to, uh, I really believe in, you know, having civil discussions and not, again, not, I mean, how can one not place blame though when there are folks who are out murdering people though? That's, it's one thing to be, you know, civil and have a discussion. And then I feel like there's also a, a very valid place for rage. And if we don't get angry, then it's, I feel like that's kind of, saying that there's not something that's a problem anyway so the sfpd are now like oh man he's not standing for the national anthem i'm really upset i don't know if they sound like that i don't know if they would say that and i guess part of me should actually be like wanting to engage although there's that i'm very much i have such an aversion to law enforcement that it's sometimes better for me just to step away because uh, yeah it's better for me to step away let's put it that way 
So I guess we can start off with that story since I've been talking about it. And we can go into some other stories. There's a lot of other things happening next weekend on September 9th. Um, there's the September 9th mobilization for, uh, to stop Urban Shield. That's a big deal. We'll be talking about that. A lot of different groups are organizing to, to go there. Black Lives Matter, Jewish Voice for Peace, as well as several other groups. That's being held in Pleasanton. I'll read about it now because it's right in front of me. This is happening September 9th, 2016 from 8 a.m. to noon. If you want to check out more info, go to stopurbanshield.org. And I'll read a little bit about this. Statewide mobilization against militarization. Say no to Urban Shield. Where? The Alameda County Fairgrounds at 4501 Pleasanton Avenue in Pleasanton, California. This is also happening, uh, I believe there's also, unfortunately, there's happening a lot of other places as well. I mean, it's good that the protests are happening, but it's like uh, the the weapons dealers are they're doing this in a lot of places. But we'll go to the um, we'll go to the California one because as we're a local station, that's what we'll do. Okay, this September, Alameda County will bring together law enforcement agencies from across the country and world. Oh gosh, ugh. All right, for the annual. Oh gosh. Okay. I'm going to calm down. I'm going to totally calm down. World, for the annual Urban Shield Highly Militarized SWAT Training and Weapons Expo. <sighs> Sometimes I wish this was like a video. I usually don't wish this was like a video show, but I wish my facial expressions could transfer over the radio wave so you could like, see my me eye-rolling and being like disgusted. But perhaps you can hear that in my voice. It exists for police units to share repressive tools, tactics, and technologies and learn how to better control and harm our communities. The Stop Urban Shield Coalition and many across California are organizing a mass mobilization on September 9th in Pleasanton, California, where the Urban Shield Weapons Expo will be held and are calling communities everywhere to join us. And they have international flyers available in English, Spanish, and Arabic. And for more info, you can email them at stopurbanshieldnow at gmail.com. And again, you can find all this information at stopurbanshield.org. Um, they also have like transportation. So if you don't have a car like me, um, they're providing rides. So they are coordinating, uh, transportation, uh, from different parts of the Bay area. There's also, uh, buses. They're, they're able to reserve buses and large vans from San Francisco, Oakland, Berkeley, Sacramento, Santa Cruz, and LA for (laughs) for individuals and organizations. Um, if there's a lot of interest in one area, so you can email again, stop urban shield now at gmail.com. You can also call five, one zero four 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 zero four eight four for more information or to request a ride for yourself or your organizational group there's also they're encouraging uh, folks to use public transit to take BART to Pleasanton uh, for those who are able um, there will be some cars and a bus shuttling from the BART station and uh, from BART if the car shuttles are at capacity there's also the 10R bus that goes close by which is a 15 minute ride that leaves every 15 minutes um, the ACE train, I haven't heard of that, from the South Bay. That goes directly there from San Jose and Santa Clara, if you're coming from the South Bay. And tickets are about $14 each way. It's a bit much. Anyway, again, for more info, go to stopurbanshield.org. And, yeah, spread the word. There's a Facebook page. There's a lot of stuff happening. A lot of different organizations are going to be there. You can get involved. Um, I was over at uh, JVP earlier this weekend. We made, uh, we painted some banners, and that felt Awesome. And that brings me up to something else, too. Um, So there's this idea. I know a lot of folks on social media share things a lot. I'm hesitant, too. I share articles more than anything personal for a lot of reasons. I keep on telling myself to get off Facebook entirely for a number of reasons, and I don't. And 
there seems to also times be this like the kind of self congratulatory I did this I did that and I, I can see it going both ways I think it's great you know if you achieve something and you want to share it with people that you know that's awesome and then I can feel like it also can be like a little bit of a bragging type of thing and I also wonder in terms of social justice and there's so much it's great to get the word out and then I feel hesitant to do things a lot of the time like take photos like I'll, t- I'll take photos but I don't necessarily share them I don't know, because a lot of the time there's other people taking photos, so I want to be more present, so I don't want to necessarily be out. So if other people are taking care of that, that's cool. I'd rather just not have to deal with the technology side while I'm in at an event or doing something. But I really wonder how much of it is, I guess there's this idea that I struggle with, which is how much do I share? And like I like to talk to people about it in conversations and uh, how much, you know, we're doing it because we're doing it at the end of the day. We want to make the world a better place. And then how much of that time that we spend doing it is spent not having to prove that we're doing something good, if that makes sense. This idea that, uh, yeah, I'm, I can only speak from my own experience, but yeah, I want to do it because I, I do it. And then if I were to share information, am I sharing it to let other people know or am I sharing it to make myself feel better or to feel validated or, oh, I'm making one you know small step in this battling against these monstrosity monstrosity like the those monstrous these systems that are in place and how much of it is is like kind of patting oneself on the back and I'm, again i'm only talking about my own self here not talking about anyone else's uh what other people do because i love when people share photos of protests on there and especially like ones that i'm at because it feels great to recognize that these happened and for folks who are unable to attend to um just just to share that information but i do again wonder about the ego and how much goes into it because you know folks why are people showing up are we really showing up to do to make these changes or are we doing it to somehow pacify the the guilt in our in ourselves from being a part of these systems for so long so that's something to think about you can get involved with uh stop urban shield and uh along with the the webpage they have some more information here so the fight against militarization policing and state violence requires a broad-based movement of different communities and organizations coming together to uh, to build power bringing an end to urban shield would be a tremendous victory in that struggle get involved here's what you can do one organize an educational event check out our resources page get in touch and we'll help you with your efforts to raise awareness about urban shield in your community two invite us to present to your group community religious organization etc Three, sign our petition. Four, save the date to stop Urban Shield town halls on July 24th. And okay, those happened. Uh, turn out to our statewide mobilization, Stop Urban Shield War Games and Weapons Expo in Pleasanton on September 9th. So you can do that. So hopefully if you're listening um, and you hadn't heard of this, you'll speak this to, about it with, with friends. If you're local um, and or you're going to be in the area, you can participate and also just see how you can help from afar and uh, recognize that this is a huge, this is a real systemic problem is, fuck, we don't need more weapons. We don't. We don't need more weapons. Ah. That's, that's, that's what I got to say about that. And uh, I'll leave that, that there. And then, all right. So I'll be going into what we were talking before. And this is, I guess, very similar. It's talking about the, uh, you know, setting out the national anthem, which I think is very tied to the military industrial complex and how X amount of money gets spent on the military and on police. And there are other ways to do things. There are. And uh, I appreciate folks who speak up against uh, continuing on the way that 
the U.S. has continued on. And for folks who are like, oh, if, I mean, not that anyone's told me to, to move or, you know, that hasn't been that. I haven't personally received that argument yet. But the idea is we want to make this better. Like this, the history of this nation has been pretty bloody and gross. And uh, for folks who are here now, the least we can do is try to make it better. Not try. We can make it better. Wow. Optimism. Two more NFL players just joined Kaepernick in sitting out the national anthem. This is one of the few stories I'll talk about. Uh, professional athletes. Awesome. This comes from USUncut.com, and it was written by Tom Cahill. came out today, September 2nd. Colin Kaepernick now has support from two fellow NFL players, and I'm sure it's going to be a lot more, in his silent protest during the national anthem. During the San Francisco 49ers' final preseason game played against the San Diego Chargers on their home turf, starting quarterback Colin Kaepernick made good on his promise to not stand up during the singing of the national anthem and was joined by safety Eric Reed. Kaepernick and Reed's protest was particularly courageous, given not only San Diego's notoriety as a military town, but the christening of tonight's game by the Chargers as Military Appreciation Night. I wish you could see my face. Meanwhile, in Oakland, Seattle Seahawks cornerback Jeremy Lane also sat out the national anthem before his team's game against the Oakland Raiders. And the video below, which they show, uh, Kaepernick and Reed are seen kneeling on the sidelines and remaining silent while a black sailor in U.S. Navy garb sang the final line of the Star Spangled, Star, the Star Spangled Banner um, or the Land of the Free and the Home of the Brave. And fireworks exploded overhead. Meanwhile, my own commentary here, fireworks, uh, not great. <laughs> they, you know, for folks, especially folks with PTSD and animals, fireworks, nah, we don't need them. Anyway, not that I haven't enjoyed them. I feel the same way with cars. I, I'm like, fuck the auto industry, cars are bad, blah, blah, blah. And then someone offers me a ride. I'm like, yeah, I recognize the hypocrisy there. I've enjoyed viewing fireworks. I think the fact that we're so hell bent on celebrating both fireworks and cars are so you know it's like i don't want to ban anything altogether except for guns i don't want to ban you know these things uh it's more uh, they shouldn't have as much prevalence in our society maybe that's it even with everything you know not as much prevalence uh yeah let's let's dial it down a bit okay fireworks exploded overhead according to business insider and when i talk about banning guns uh i'd rather just have them all disappear because i recognize i in terms of like the folks who don't trust law enforcement and don't trust the state with guns, I recognize wanting to have guns as a way of combating uh, folks with... So I get that. Like, I totally understand that point of view, if that makes sense. Anyway. Okay. According to Business Insider, Chargers fans booed Kaepernick during his silent protest. Fuck you guys. It almost seemed as if the entire segment was staged to humiliate Ka Kaepernick as fans in the stands directly above the 49ers bench dangled an American flag. Fuckers. Not a fan of the American flag. And an American flag accompanied by a flag commemorating prisoners of war and soldiers. Okay, if we weren't so hell-bent on celebrating America, we wouldn't have as many wars and there wouldn't be prisoners of war. That's the thing. It's all, like, it's all correlated. It's all connected. It's all connected. The more we want to fucking invade other countries, the more there's going to be prisoners of war. Do people not see that? Okay. Soldiers missing in action. And also, can we please, like, treat the vets here decently? Like, 25% of the people on the streets in the U.S. are veterans. Veterans come back, and they're treated like shit. So perhaps we should take care of them before we start more wars, eh? I, I'm Canadian all of a sudden. Okay. And soldiers, miss <laughs> excuse me. and soldiers missing in action was raised high above the stands. 
Um, Kaepernick has pledged to refuse to stand for the national anthem, saying he refuses to stand to show pride in a flag for a country that oppresses black people, adding that he believes American police are getting away with murder. As of this writing, neither the 49ers nor the Seahawks have issued a statement on the growing movement by black players to protests silently to protest silently during the singing of the national anthem. So, yes, and I think, you know, it's like it takes one person to do it and then eventually more and more people do. And I bet there's plenty of people who didn't sit down or didn't kneel who would have liked to. And I think that this is going to grow because it takes one person to do it. And then the more people who do it, the the more folks will follow. And I'm very uh, optimistic about that. And I think that's great. So positive news story, people speaking up and people with privilege speaking up. And I think that's wonderful. And uh, we need more of that. So yeah, starting off on a good note today. That's wonderful. We play in some music. We open up the show with a song by Trant Smith. And so there's a band called Pansy Division that a lot of folks know. And they have a new album out. They're an openly gay punk punk pop band, I would say. Now they're more pop popish, less punk. And they have a new album out. So we're playing some tracks from their new album called Quite Contrary. I liked it. I'm a fan of theirs, their music. And um, I remember in high school we had our photo taken like the whole school and everyone wore their not everyone but many people wore their high school t-shirts and i wore a panty division shirt that was me being silently a very very small thing to do but thought that was fun to do so uh uh, uh, (laughs) i'll be playing some of their songs from the new album and i've listened to them most of them and they're pretty great i like them they're they're catchy they're good so and also it's great to play um songs by openly lgbtq people So the first one I think uh, I'm going to play is called Too Much to Ask. And I think a lot of us can relate to this. Uh, I feel with technology, it gives us an excuse to maybe ignore people even more, Um, whether it's sending someone an email and not receiving any response or texts. And I I recognize I'm guilty of that, but I feel like I'm um, maybe a little bit on the, I've received a little bit less, more silence on that than other folks. I can't say. I can't say for sure, but uh, I feel like the very least folks can do is, you know, respond back if they're asked to. (sighs) And I feel like a lot of times people hide behind it where uh, back in the, I don't know. I I don't know what it was like back in the day when it was just letter writing. Well, I kind of do. I was younger. But my point is that people can also use technology. Like people can hide behind the technology and people can reach out and, it's also very easily dismissed because we are so often communicating with it. I am getting to what I'm trying to say. This song explains it a little bit more. It's called Too Much to Ask. So low Only a bunch of 
something beautiful. Yeah, we had something beautiful. We had something beautiful. We had something beautiful for a long, long time. For a long, long time. For a long, long time. For a long, long Division with Something Beautiful, and that is off their new album, Quite Contrary. Moving along, we've got some more news stories for you. There is plenty, plenty more. And this comes, we were talking about uh, the Dakota Pipeline last week, and there's a lot of ways where folks can support it and want to provide more information because there's a lot of more folks who have gone out to North Dakota to support. So this article comes from White Wolfpack. And you can check it out at whitewolfpack.com. And this came out on Thursday, yesterday. A historic resistance to Dakota Pipeline, biggest gathering of tribes in years. Uh, a pipeline protest in North Dakota has been growing by the busload, and organizers now call it the largest gathering of Native Americans in modern times. It's estimated that members of 60 tribes have gathered at an encampment overlooking the Cannonball and Missouri Rivers, the Bismarck Tribune reports. More than 150 tribes so far have sent resolutions and letters of support to show solidarity with the Standing Rock Sioux and the seven council fires of the Lakota's efforts to stop the pipeline. The Akama Nation, uh, Swin- Swinomish Indian Tribal Community, Lumi Nation, Puyallup Tribe, Nisqually Indian Tribe, Sukamish Tribe, Lower Elwa Kalam tribe and Ho tribe traveled with a large delegation from the Pacific Northwest with a sacred totem pole to demonstrate spiritual support. After a blessing at the Standing Rock camp near the river, the totem pole will be permanently raised at the Turtle Lodge on the Sag King First Nation in Manitoba next week. Yakama is humbled and honored to stand beside our brothers and sisters of the Standing Rock Sioux. We're observing a peaceful and prayerful gathering to move an entire country. We stand united in solidarity with the, nat- with the natural laws of this land, advocating for responsible decision-making and honorable communications, said Yakama Chairman Jode uh, Gaudi. The peaceful camp near the river is the first time since 1875 that all the Lakota tribes have gathered at the Cannonball River. Their efforts to save their water have inspired hundreds of tribes, celebrities, and activists from across the country to show their support. Numerous tribes have written letters to President Obama and the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers asking them to fulfill their trust obligation to tribes and reconsider the construction of the Dakota Access Pipeline. And I'll play a bit of a video here that they have included. And I'll uh, also, there's some text on the video, so I will be uh, intermittently stopping it so I can read the text. And this is uh, the $3.8 billion Dakota Access Pipeline has been partially halted. 
after several months of protests by Native Americans and environmentalists. North Dakota has responded by arresting dozens. And declaring a state of emergency. Authorities also removed the camp's water supply. Nevertheless, people continue to arrive at the protest camp. My name is Arlo Ironcloud. I'm here at the camp. And this spirit camp houses 2,000 people. We're looking east. You see that little blue line across there? That is Manish Shoshan. That is the Missouri, the old muddy. The company Energy Transfer halted construction at the protest site. Ahead of an upcoming hearing in federal court where the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe will challenge the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers to withdraw its approval of the project. Construction of the 1,172-mile pipeline continues elsewhere and is still expected to be done by the end of the year. If completed, the pipeline will carry 570,000 barrels of oil a day and benefit oil companies. But it will cut beneath the Missouri River, a source of drinking water for millions who live downstream, and one of the largest aquifers in the world. It will also cross sacred treaty lands belonging to Native Americans. This is about our water. We're a prayerful, prayerful people and we're a peaceful people. And all we ask for is that our future generations are taken care of with clean water. And we're gonna do that through prayer. And we're gonna stay in prayer until we're victorious. Since January 2015, there have been 54 pipeline accidents in the US. At least five people were killed, 23 were injured and thousands of gallons of oil byproducts were spilled. The occupation has united 60 tribes, the biggest native coalition in recent times. Wow. So you can check out this video at whitewolfpack.com. And again, this article came out yesterday, Thursday, September 1st, if you're listening to this. Uh, down uh, a few days later. Um, yeah, so again, very inspiring to see so many folks coming together. And again, people, you can, whoops, you can help out um, if you would like. I will, I'm gonna pull up some information of how folks can uh, donate if you're unable to go in person, which is of course one way you can go. Uh, there are other ways they're also collecting funds for um, legal defense uh, for uh, camp supplies, a lot of other ways you can support. So I'm bringing up that information at this moment. Uh, coming up at 1 p.m., we'll be talking with David V. Moore about uh, Moorhead Pride. So you can go to uh, standingrock.org is one, uh, one site you can check out. And I'll pull up some more uh, by the end of the show. I would like to have it now, though, because instant gratification, right? But yes, if you go to standingrock.org, they have you can donate to the Dakota Access Pipeline Fund, not for the pipeline, but to protest for folks who are protesting the pipeline fund. Uh, so there's a PayPal account there where you can donate. Um, yes, so that's one one way you can donate. And uh, yes, so there we go. 
that's great. Moving along to a few other stories before our call at 1 p.m. Um, oh, there's a few other things to get to. One, uh, I happen to be transgender. I say that, <laughs> I say that a lot. I say it almost every day. Uh, not a day goes by. I don't think about it. And that's, that's how it is. That's how it is based in our society that's so invested in the binary and in our material bodies and this idea of uh, dividing people into groups and that somehow our bodies, our material bodies, somehow say more about us than uh, anything else. And I think that's really problematic. So uh, Jen Richards, who is uh, an actress who happens to be a trans woman, um, has uh, spoken out. There's a movie that's coming out, and they, they cast a a cis male actor and the role of a trans woman, which is really problematic. That's been happening for quite a while. And so she has spoken out about exactly why this is problematic. So I'm going to read her tweets. And her name is Jen Richards, and you can find her at Twitter. It's at SmartAssJen. Dear Mark Ruffalo and Matt Bomer, if you release this movie, it will directly lead to violence against already at-risk trans women. Uh, She says, I auditioned for this. I told them they shouldn't have a cis man play a trans woman. They didn't care. I've made this point in a few interviews, but never on Twitter, so let me lay it out. Reasons not to have a cis man reasons not to have cis men play trans women. First, there is the practical economic one. It denies the actual trans women opportunities, jobs, resources, which hurts entire community. Then there's an aesthetic. Now I can agree in principle that anyone can play anyone. As an artist, I want that kind of freedom myself. But Having trans people play trans people allows for more informed, subtle, authentic performance. It makes for better art, which is the point. Cis audiences reward them because they see being trans itself as a performance. Trans actors rather perform the story, not our gender. But all of this pales to the main reason not to have cis men play trans women. This is the reason that is making me cry as I type this. It will result in violence against trans women. And that is not hyperbole. I meant it, I mean it literally. Cis men playing trans women leads to death. Here's why. I've spent years looking at violence against trans women, particularly who does it and why. I talk to survivors. There's a pattern. Straight men are attracted to trans women. They always have been, always will be. We are some of the most popular sex workers. It's a fact. But... They are afraid that being with trans women makes them gay or less masculine. They seek us out, enjoy us, then punish us for their anxiety. Let's be more direct. They have sex with us, worry that makes them gay, then reassert their masculinity through violence aimed at us. Back to the point. Why do men who aren't attracted to men who only date women think being with trans women makes them gay or less masculine? because culture as a whole still thinks trans women are really men. Decades of showing us that way in shows. Uh, Decades of showing us that way in shows. It's been internalized. Again and again, cis men play trans women in media with the furthest reach, uh, are rewarded for it, and tell the world trans women are really, and really is in quotation marks, men. When Jared Leto plays Rayon and accepts his Oscar with a full beard, the world sees that being a trans w- woman is just a man performing. When Matt Bomer plays a trans sex worker, he is telling the world that underneath it all, trans women, like me, are still really just men. 
and that is going to lead to violence, not to me likely, but to girls already more at risk. Any cis men who do this have bloody hands. I'm not some screechy activist. I mean all this literally. It's happening all the time. The stakes are life and death. Our women are dying. I'm a filmmaker. I hold the freedom of art sacred, but I also recognize its power as a responsibility. We shape perception. We are culpable. So again, uh, this comes from Jen Richards, and you can follow her at at smart ask Jen on Twitter. So thank you, Jen, for writing this and explaining it. I think it's there is this conversation that's been happening on and off for a while, and it's really um, uh, great when folks can really explain it. I mean, I, I feel with like a lot of issues, uh, for me anyway, like anger kind of comes up, and that sometimes makes it difficult for me to communicate as effectively as I would like because I have this filter that's like I know it's wrong but being able to articulate why it's wrong I can't quite move past it so for someone like Jen to kind of really to spell it out I think is really helpful especially for someone who auditioned for this role and didn't get it and of course there's many reasons why it's super problematic to have uh, a cis man you know play a, a trans woman in, in this way and she really outlines it so I wanted to thank Jen Richards for for spelling that out for us and then also as someone who happens to be a trans actor and I recognize I have a different it's a different perspective as a trans masculine person and masculine folks in our society have um we face uh, less violence than trans feminine and feminine people altogether absolutely not that there isn't also violence faced um towards masculine people but it's definitely it's does i can't you can't doesn't even compare and then also when we're talking about hollywood and the entertainment industry and what women go through in that industry in itself which is so misogynist yeah so so i feel like i can relate in terms of being a trans identified person but also it's not the same struggle that, that I face as a transmasculine person, if that makes sense. So I really feel like as transmasculine folks really have to speak up for our, our sisters um, every opportunity that we get. So wanted to share that. So thanks again, Jen Richards, for sharing uh, that perspective um, with folks who might not get it. And I think there's a lot of people who want to get it. They just don't, and they haven't thought about it. So um, really important that uh, we're able to get that point of view out there. Okay. Moving along, there's a couple more stories to get to before our call at 1 p.m. And this next one, um, uh, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna read this. So there's also there's there's transphobia, of course. There's misogyny. There's racism. There's xenophobia. There's homophobia. There's uh, ugh, there's ageism. There's uh, ableism. There's a lot of ways that humans mistreat one another. And um, this is uh, there's an illustration that's online by Abby uh, Hugel that I wanted to share, and there's words here that um, I will speak of. I will speak the words. There's a lot happening in my mind right now, and this comes from uh, 22words.com, and this is uh, an illustrated guide. Perfectly shows what to do when you see Islamophobia, and again, this can happen for many other phobias that where folks were like out in public and we see someone mistreating someone. What can we do to to stop it from happening? Uh, the Burkini ban in some French coastal towns uh, continues to stoke to stoke controversy all over the world. Many people regard the bans now overturned in certain municip- municipalities as sexist, Islamophobic, and counterproductive to assimilating Muslims into the country and treating them with respect. Now, Marie Shireen Yanair, who goes by uh, Muriel and is a 21-year-old artist and illustrator from Paris, has illustrated has created an illustrated guide 
for bystanders who see Muslims who are being harassed. It's been shared thousands of times on Tumblr with more than 50,000 notes and counting for good reason. Uh, what to do if you're witnessing Islamophobic harassment? A bystander's guide to help the person who's being targeted. Um, one, engage conversation. Go to them, sit beside them, and say hello. Try to appear calm, collected, and welcoming. Ignore the attacker. And the person says, hi, how are you? Two, pick a random subject and start discussing it. It can be anything. A movie you liked, the weather, saying you like something they wear, and asking where they got it. And so the illustration just shows the person talking to the other person. Three, keep building a, the safe space. Keep eye contact with them and don't acknowledge the attacker's presence. The absence of response from you two will push them to leave the area shortly. And four, continue the conversation until the attacker leaves and escort them to a safe place if necessary. Bring them to a neutral area where they can recollect themselves, respect their wishes if they tell you they're okay and just want to go. Uh, below the guide, Meryl wrote that this technique works for any kind of harassment in a public space, but she specifically was focusing on the Islamophobia she's witnessed in Paris. This is an illustrated guide I made as part of my co-adminning work um, at the Middle Eastern Feminist uh, on Facebook. It will be published there shortly. The technique that is displayed here is a genuine one used in psychology. I forgot the name and couldn't find it again, so if you know about it, feel free to tell me. Some Some could say... Yes, but can you use that technique for instances of harassment other than Islamophobic attacks? And my, my reply is, sure, please do so. It also works for other types of harassment of a lone person in a public space. However, I'm focusing on protecting Muslims here as they have been very specific targets lately. And as a French Middle Eastern woman, I wanted to try and do something to raise awareness on how to help when such things happen before our eyes. That way, one cannot say they didn't know what to do. I'd like to insist on two things. One, do not in any way interact with the attacker. You must absolutely ignore them and focus entirely on the person being attacked. Two, please make sure to always respect the wishes of the person you're helping, whether they want you to leave quickly afterwards or not. If you're in a hurry to escort them to a place where someone else can take over, call one of their friends or one of yours um, of if they want to. Uh, if they want to, the police. All right. Okay. Uh, it all depends on how they feel. Uh, ready to break this thing down? Uh, the first step is to engage in the victim in conversation. So if you go to this um, this site, and this is, again, on 22words.com, and we've also posted this on the Facebook page, facebook.com slash weeklyrev, um, you can check out um, all of this information there, and it goes into more detail about what we discussed. So that's a lot. There's a lot of stuff we just discussed a lot. So... We're going to take a music break. At 1 p.m., we'll be talking with David V. Moore about the first Pride in Moorhead, uh, Kentucky. <sighs> definitely, uh, oof, definitely, definitely, definitely need some music. <laughs> Turning into Rain Man all of a sudden. Definitely taking some time. Just take a break. There's some more Panzer Division, again, from the album Quite Contrary. I once wrote a song about being a slut Nothing meant more to me than busting a nut Now I've grown older and that life ain't making the cut I'm willing to follow my guide and admit I was wrong Because love came along Love came along 
Welcome back to the Weekly Review. We are on the phone with David V. Moore. David, thank you so much for calling in. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Um, so I was hoping we could talk a little bit about uh, Moorhead Pride, uh, Moorhead's first Pride celebration uh, last August. Yeah, it was uh, last week and pretty successful. We're pretty happy about it. It was really hot, but nobody died, so... <laughs> It was a success in oh. that regard. Oh, right on. So I remember there was, um, in terms of setting it up and beginning to to wanting to put it together, there were some obstacles that, since it was the first one happening in that in that town. Well, you know, as we're like at the beginning, we weren't sure the reaction people would have. So we're going around and talking to local businesses and you know local government officials, and the more people we talked to we realized the more support we had and that we were surprised by. Oh, right on. People were actually really happy about it. You know, last year everything was kind of negative with all the attention that happened in our town, you know, with the whole county clerk thing. Yes. So this is something positive that we could do for the community, and I think people really responded to that, especially uh, people that worked in tourism. Even the mayor was supportive, and we had a pretty good, um, I think, group of people who are behind us wonderful that's really inspiring to hear especially um, folks elected officials kind of stepping up and supporting yeah i mean considering you know where we're located in kentucky a lot of people have these ideas that it's very backwards and not progressive and really you know it's not like you know living in an urban area you can't really walk down the street you know and hold hands and that sort of thing you you know you might get yelled at or you might you know get some odd looks or whatever but for the most part, people kind of leave you alone here. Um, I think a lot of the protests that happened last year, people came from outside the region, and that was an issue. It wasn't a lot of local people. They may disagree with you, but they kind of keep it to themselves in a way. I see. That's great, and I'm sure it's great for the, the youth who are growing up in that area to, to have this as a, a kind of visual celebration where they might feel more included and more hopeful about their future. Yeah, and I think that's what's really important for me. You know, when I was growing up, I'm, I'm 40 years old now, so when I was growing up, we didn't have that at all. And I'm from, I'm not from this county. I'm from a few counties over, which are a little a little less progressive. And when I was growing up, there was just nothing. So it's great. We had a lot of young people come out, and it's like the support was there, the visibility was there. They were happy. It's like they had their own space. Um, we had a student who came down. And he saw the drag performers, and he went back and put his dress on and, oh. and came out. And he was like, he was like, I finally feel comfortable. I feel like I can be in a space where I can just walk around, and I can just walk, and it's fine. Oh, that's wonderful. Oh, that's really, that's really grateful to hear. Great to hear. And I imagine that that Yeah, person... I mean, I cried a few times that day. Um, my husband cried a lot, like, all day long. Sure. So, Yeah. It must mean a lot. I think also just, you know, growing up without having that and even just seeing the, the changes that have been made over the last decade or so, it feels like things are kind of going in 
in some ways not fast enough, but then other ways um, compared to how things were um, back in the day. Uh, it's really amazing to see the changes that have been made. Yeah, it is. There's a lot. There's been a lot of progress. I know it's not probably quick enough for some people. It's not quick enough for me. I like. Yeah. You know, I'm very liberal, and I yes. want things to be progressive. Same. But I've seen the gradual, and really in the last five years, it feels like it's it's kind of sped up a bit. Yeah. Yeah. And perhaps it'll only keep growing from there. I've I a lot of a uh, faith in the next generation. I'm I'm in my mid thirties, so I have a lot of faith in the the generation that's coming up now. Oh yeah, for sure. And, you know, when we had the the drag performers come out, a lot of people had never seen that around here. Yeah. Well, there, was, there was a lot of straight allies there, and they they loved it, and there were a lot of men, like straight men there, and they were just like, this is great. They totally got into it, and I think it sort of demystifies that part of the culture. You know, it is a part of queer culture, and I think that they need to see it, and they need to be not afraid of it. Yes, you know? yeah. It's, it's not scary it's just a part of the culture yeah absolutely i guess that's with with fear in a lot of cases is what people assume or whatever they hear whether it's from the media which has kind of a can sometimes tell a artificial version of what is but kind of keeps people afraid of one another and then to actually experience something in person can uh i think open people's eyes up quite a bit yeah for sure yeah right on Cool. So I have a question about Pride, because I know in, in the larger cities, there's been an issue with Pride in that it's kind of become really corporatized um, in San Francisco and Chicago and New York and a lot of other Pride parades, which is ironic considering it started off as a riot against uh, police <laughs> at, at Stonewall. Yeah. So I was curious um, how it was in, in Moorhead. A lot of people just, I think some people described it as wholesome, which was interesting. Mm-hmm. Um I don't, I feel like we let people be who they were. I don't feel like we watered anything down. You know, a lot of people were really worried about having drag. They were just, they were worried about the festival itself. Um, but we, we just let people be pretty much who they were. We didn't try to censor anybody. Um, you know, we told the performers there would be kids there, you know, if they could make it kind of okay for kids, whatever that means. Yeah. You know, if it's, if it, and some of them did, and some of them just did whatever they wanted, and that, it was still, it was okay. I don't think there was anything, any issues with that. Um, you know, and we live in a kind of isolated area where we're not going to get all these huge corporate sponsors or anything like that. We did get a few, you know, p- places from outside who, who did donate money, um, planning peace. Um, do you know the Rainbow House, the Equality House across from Westboro Phelps. Baptist Church? Yeah, um, yeah. So the president of that group he came down and they donated the money and he was one of our speakers that they were they had a connection here because they put up a billboard in our town last year about um about kim davis mm-hmm. so and then i got to know him over the last year or so so it was like more of a personal you know the, the people i reached out to were personal people that i knew that i had interacted with yeah we didn't solicit we didn't get anything we didn't solicit from these corporations or anything that we didn't or we didn't know the people yeah so it was it was that and then um uh wow studios that do the rupaul show mm-hmm. you know um, my husband and i had done a, a segment with them on national geographic this year and so that so we knew those people so that's when i asked those people you know to give us money because we really we we're trying to fundraise and do marketing and do all these things at once but, you know, they didn't ask for anything. They didn't ask us to change anything about what we were doing. We we had total control over what we're doing, and we do it the way we want to do it. Awesome. 
that's really that's really great to hear and it, i'm sure it made for a much better more inclusive pride having the kind of control or creative control over how it was instead of handing it off it to is. other folks we can say yes and no to things and if it's not working we cut it out and you know if it's something that we want to do we just we try to figure out a way to do it we really we did pretty much everything we set out to do huh. we really didn't let anything get in our way that's awesome that's very inspiring and and great to hear and i do feel like as someone who's lived in a lot of urban areas there is this um, I find to be kind of problematic view that some folks in, in urban areas, like in cities take towards rural, you know, folks in rural areas where there's this idea that somehow people aren't progressive or they aren't, um, or they, they can't quite be themselves. And I, f- I feel like there's a lot of uh, problems with that because that's not necessarily the case. Right. And you kind of have to overcome both of those sort of stereotypes a little bit in yeah. our area. Yeah. You know, because we have that overlap between what people think about, um, you know, I guess they would they would call a lot of people or they would call them hillbillies, I'm sure. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so people have that stereotype and then you have the, the LGBT stereotypes and we have to kind of deal with both of those. And I think. I think there's a lot of common ground there as far as that goes because you you can I mean I can relate to it because I grew up with both of those things. Yes, yes. So yeah, that's something we just have to deal with and it's unique to our area. So it's we had a lot of people from outside the area come here from the larger cities and they really they loved it. They yeah. just loved that it. it was small. Yes. You know, we're surrounded by mountains here. It's a different uh, visual when you see the photos and you see performers with mountains in the background versus oh, yeah. like an urban space. Yeah, I bet. It's very different. Yeah, and that's something, too, is that even in, in cities, there is homophobia and there is transphobia here as well. So I think that there's a myth that, oh, once folks move to a certain area like New York or San Francisco, and I can speak since I've lived in both those cities, it's not that those that behavior goes away. And perhaps one can you know walk hand in hand with someone, but it isn't to say that homophobic or transphobic attacks don't occur in large cities as well. So I think that's really important to, for folks to remember. Right. I mean, you're always at risk no matter what, yeah. you know, for your, for who you are, for your identity. Yes. To express your identity, you're always going to be at risk if you're expressing it in a public space. Yes. No matter where you're at. Absolutely. And my husband is from Pennsylvania. And mm-hmm. so when we go up there, we don't, our behavior doesn't change. We still don't hold hands in public. I see. You know, it's just, and maybe it's because I'm used to that, but <sighs> I don't feel completely safe doing it anywhere, oh, to be honest. That just says so much about our society and how far we have to go, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people were like, oh, well, you have marriage equality now, and now you're equal, which is, like, ridiculous. You know, we're, we're not. There's a, there's a lot more to go. Right. Uh, there's a lot more to do for people of color, for trans people. Yes. You know, not, none of that for housing and uh, discrimination you know we still people can still be fired yes. in our state for being um, lgbt yeah so yeah there's, there's a lot of work absolutely so what, what's being done like in the political realm in in your area then to to combat that so we do have a fairness ordinance in town mm-hmm. which if you're discriminated against uh, for being lgbt um, you can be fined and there's like different levels of the fines and all that um it covers housing and employment um, but there's no actual state law, so they've been trying to pass, like, a state fairness kind of law, mm-hmm. which is similar to, like, the Equality Act, I guess, nationally, which hasn't passed either. Mm. So they've been trying to do that now for, like, 10 years, and it, it 
came up for it didn't even make it to a four vote this year but it came up and they talked about it um so they're making some headway but it's just very very slow i see so it's not great i see well i I commend you for and for all the folks there for for fighting for that and you know hopefully one day and not even hopefully but i do believe that one day that will be will no longer be an issue i think it will have to happen on a national level and it will just have to I think that's how it's going to have to happen. Yeah. The same way that marriage equality happened. It'll have to happen on the national level because if you go state by state, some of these states are, it's going to take decades. Yes. You know, why should people shouldn't have to wait that long? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, here's, here's putting that energy out there that, that will happen. Yeah. Yeah. So is there anything else uh, that's coming up that you'd like to, to speak about or anything from your past that you'd like to uh, share? Uh, do you have any other questions specifically? Oh. Uh, I was pretty, pretty much like leaving it open-ended. So, yeah. I um, for me personally, I'm really, I'm really proud that we did this. And I'm really happy that we have a great group of people in our organization. I feel like we have the right people that are involved now that want to do something positive yeah. and hopefully that other people, you know, will be able to get on board and realize what we're doing is good for the community. It's good for progress in this area. You know, I feel good about it because I grew up, you know, and there just wasn't that kind of support. There was no visibility. Yeah. There was just nothing. So if that's something I want to be able to do. The scholarship thing is great. If that, if even if we couldn't do a, a pride festival, if we could just do the scholarship, I would be happy with that. Cause right. we, we took up money for, um, Moorhead pride scholarship, which we gave to a local, um, LGBT student organization at the local high school here, Yes, which was awesome. Um, that student who runs that did a poetry performance at the festival when they got off the stage, we had this huge piece of the uh, C2C flag, which is a part of Gilbert Baker's um, original flag that stretched like a mile long, and they had like a piece of it there. Mm-hmm. Um, and when the student got off the stage, all of their friends came up and hugged them, and I was like standing there. <laughs> and I started to cry a little bit because I'm thinking, well, this, this would have never happened when I was a kid, and I'm, I was just so happy to see it happening now for this generation and I, I know it'll get better with every generation yeah absolutely um i wasn't sure if you'd be interested in talking a little bit about um when you were in the process of getting married and, and fighting for that i'm sure you had a have done a lot of interviews and spoken about that a lot but wanted to leave room if you wanted to speak about that any recollections from that experience of that something so personal becoming such a public uh just becoming so public i guess with with just wanting to get married and how that went down? I mean, well, we got what we wanted. Yeah. And it was a lot to go through. It was difficult to deal with, actually to deal with the media part of it. Yes. It was difficult because we're both, I mean, I'm an introvert. My husband's a little more extroverted, but that was difficult for me. Um, It was difficult to see the reaction that people had and to see the community kind of split it seemed like the community was kind of split. I knew, you know, in the short term that it was going to be very painful for people to have to deal with and face yes. the way they felt about things. But in the long term, I felt like this is like a, like an arc of progress. Yes. And I know in the long term that things will turn out better. So it was painful at first. Yeah. I'm, now it's fine. 
Right on. <laughs> Things are fine, and I don't wish any. I don't have any ill will towards that person. Yeah. It, you know, it was kind of a hellish thing to go through. I think for a lot of people. Um, someone told me the other day we were at the after party for the pride thing, and and they were saying, well, you know, you're you're a public queer now, so you have to you have to deal with that. There's different layers to that. And you, you can have your private life, which I do, but you also have to have this kind of public part of you that you have to give away to people. Hmm. And I, I've come to terms with it. It's fine. I'm fine with it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, thank you so much for, for sharing that and uh, for everything that you did and for all these folks who have, that have done, I feel very, uh, very fortunate to be, living in a time when there's so many people who are speaking out and fighting for their rights. You know, I think more people should do it because really, you really don't know the support you have until you put it out there. Yeah. A lot of people live in fear and sometimes you're afraid of nothing. Yes. There's not even anything there to be afraid of. Right. You know, obviously you have to be safe, but a lot of the fear is just, it comes from outside and it's not even real, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of it's manufactured. Cool. Well, uh, thank you so much for, for calling in. Uh, do you have any, anything else you'd like to share before we go? Um, if anybody wants to know anything else about our organization, it's moreheadpride.org. Great. Uh, we, we are going to have another event next year, so we'll be posting that up soon, I'm sure. We're on Facebook and Instagram and everything. So, yeah, looking forward to next year. Right on. Well, thank you again so much for calling in. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. For sure. Take care. Okay. Bye. Bye. All right. So thanks again to David Moore for calling in. Um, yeah, a lot to think about. And I think there's that idea that here in the cities we have, uh, there has been this idea, again, going back to the idea of us versus them, that uh, somehow, uh, I'm not quite sure how to, how to, 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 to say it, but just um, recognizing that there are folks on many levels who are making a lot of great progress and speaking out and stepping up, and that's really remarkable and grateful to be living in a time when this is happening. So thanks again to, to David Moore and for also for uh, Moorhead Pride and looking forward to hearing more uh, about what happens in the future. So we'll be playing some more Pansy Division and we'll be back with some more news stories before we finish up the show. Uh, you're listening to Mutiny Radio here, mutinyradio.fm from San Francisco. Stay tuned and we'll be back in a little bit.
Welcome back to the weekly review. It's Roman. It's Friday, September 2nd still. Uh, that was Pansy Division with East Trouble. Uh, thanks again to David Moore for calling in. Also thanks to Trant Smith for the lovely music that we opened up the show with. We have a few more stories before we end up the show today. Coming up next on Mutiny Radio, you can hear Women's Magazine with Global Val. That is on from 2 to 3 p.m. Following that is the Common Thread Collective from 3 to 6 p.m. And that's with Global Val, Diamond Dave, and many folks who come through these doors and share their music and poetry and spoken word and ideas with all of us here at Mutiny Radio. So that's a lot of great things. So there's a lot of things <laughs> a lot of things we can do. Um, if you go to jvp.org slash veto, uh, tell Jerry Brown, veto AB2844, Californians have a right to boycott. Dear Governor Brown, we urge you to veto AB2844, an unconstitutional and costly attack on Californians' free speech and the movement for Palestinian human rights. AB 2844 chills free speech by falsely associating legal and time-honored boycotts for human rights with unlawful discrimination, and by creating a vague new crime in the process. The bill could cost California taxpayers over $140 million, Department of Finance estimate, and unknown additional sums for fielding complaints and lawsuits. Although the title and some of the content of AB 2844 have changed over time, its intent remains the same to stigmatize and suppress protected political speech, especially advocacy for Palestinian human rights through the nonviolent tactics of boycott, divestment, and sanctions. Stop this attack on Californians' free speech. Veto AB 2844. And again, you can find this if you go to jvp.org slash veto. That's a question. I'm asking myself a question, making sure I read the uh, correct link here. And, uh, yeah, um, okay, I'm on the air, so we're going to say that's what it is. Yes, jvp.org slash veto. Ah, there's a lot happening. There's a lot happening. Moving along, goodness, there's a lot. There's a lot happening. <sighs> Breathe in. Breathe out. So we got some more. Um, more news. So before we're talking about uh, Standing Rock and how you can support folks out there. So camp supplies. Folks need camp supplies. You can go the, to support the folks there by going to GoFundMe.com forward slash Sacred Stone Camp. Again, that is GoFundMe.com forward slash Sacred Stone Camp. The next is the Legal Defense Fund. You can go to at uh, uh, Fundraiser, and that's F-U-N-D-R-A-Z-R dot com forward slash campaigns forward slash d19 faf and then also the standing rock sioux tribe which we mentioned before you go to standingrock.org so there's many ways you can uh, uh help out uh if you're able to um also there's hashtags hashtag no dapl uh then solidarity sf hashtag no dapl hashtag love water not oil hashtag keep it in the ground a lot of ways to support. Also, start conversations with people. That's a big thing that one can do. It doesn't cost anything. Uh, bring it up in conversation with folks you know, folks you don't know that well. Um, if you're at a party, you're at a family gathering, um, walking down the street, uh, you're with someone, you're on a date. You're on a date. You don't know what to say. How about, hey, it's pretty fucked up that they're uh, putting in a pipeline. 
there's a lot of things that we can talk about and a lot of ways to help. So you can be there in person. If you can't be there in person, have conversations. Share information online. Share information in person. If you have the capital, um, please share your capital. Uh, a lot of ways to help out, and that's a good thing. Awesome. I'm in a good mood again. <laughs> Great. I've been mostly in a good mood, uh, which makes me nervous. Anyway, there's a, so yeah, there's a lot of negative things happening in the world, and people standing up to it is really positive and really encouraging and really uh, makes one optimistic. Because if we're not going to be optimistic about the you know changing the way things are, then what's the point, really? Okay. Oh. So, um, I'm not a fan of law enforcement. That's no secret. And um, so here's going to be more. And this comes from uh, Ashley Love, who just shared this. Thank you, Ashley Love, for, for sharing this. Um, and this goes back to what we were talking before about Stop Urban Shield. And um, so they're talking about um, Baltimore County uh, police officer who fatally shot Corin Gaines has been identified. So we're going to read this article. And again, uh, more reason to go and support um, the folks who are opposing uh, Urban Shield. Uh, just to go out there because it's all connected. We don't need more militarization. Uh, and Ashley says, Urban Shield must be stopped or things will get worse for Freedom folks. And um, again, the rally is September 9th. Stop Urban Shield. No to militarization and police war on our communities. And uh, this article comes from the Baltimore Sun. Police officer who fatally shot Corin Gaines, also involved in a deadly shooting in 2007. <sighs> That's really fucked up. A lot of the times when these police officers, when they, they commit a shooting and then they, we find out that they've been doing this, they've been behaving this way for a long time and they haven't been stopped. It's like ongoing behavior. There was a, maybe it was like last month, there was a woman who was, she was volunteering at some police place. Police. There was a, for some, I, I know I'm sounding super vague. Long story short, she was murdered by a police officer there who didn't know his gun was loaded. And looking back on his history, he has a lot of violations and a history of being violent and attacking people for no reason. So, of course, this unfortunate, I mean, it's like, it's no surprise. These officers are fucking out of control. September 1st, 2016, again, this article comes from the Baltimore Sun. Uh, all right. And this was written by um, Allison uh, Knezovich and Jessica Anderson. And again, thank you to Ashley Love for sharing this. Uh, the Baltimore County police officer who fatally shot Corin Gaines last month is a 16-year veteran of the department who was also involved in a deadly shooting in 2007. The police department said Thursday police officials identified him as Officer First Class Ruby not deserving of that name, of the Support Operations Division. The department does not release first names of officers involved in shootings, because why would they, right? Uh, under an agreement between the county and the police union. Uh, Gaines 23, 23, uh, was killed inside her Randallstown apartment after an hours-long standoff with police. Her death has sparked protests and questions from civil rights ad activists across the country. Police waited an unusually long period of time before releasing Ruby's last name, citing threats against their personnel. The public identification of the officer came one month after Gaines was killed. Typically, the name is released within 48 hours. Police Chief Jim Johnson decided we had reached a, both, a point both with the investigation and in terms of the safety issues that were concerning us several weeks ago that he felt it was time for him to release the name. Spokeswoman Elise Armacost said it was a difficult decision for him to make, she added. Officers went to Gaines' apartment on August 1st to serve warrants for her, stemming from a traffic stop and on her boyfriend in connection to an alleged assault on Gaines. A standoff ensued and police... I don't, I mean, even the fact that we're repeating what the police said when they're fucking murderers, I think is a problem with the whole media in general and just how things are reported. Um, I'm not even going to read what the fucking police said because we know that they lie. Um, and the police opened fire and killed her. 
uh, when she shot back. Uh, Ruby fired again, according to police. Ruby also shot Gaines' five-year-old son, Cody, in the cheek while firing at Gaines, police said. <sighs> the case has drawn questions from groups, including the NAACP Legal Defense Fund, which last month asked police for information and documents about the shooting and departmental policies. Legal Defense Fund President Sherilyn Ifill said Thursday she still has questions, including whether anyone with mental health expertise was with police. Probably not. <sighs> about the details of the officer's entry into the home and why Ruby opened fire when a child was nearby. There are still many questions in the case, Ifill said. This is a young woman, a young mother, who was in her home and who was being served with arrest warrants for misdemeanors. Ruby has been assigned to administrative duties while the department conducts an internal investigation, Armacost said. Gaines's mother, Rhonda Dormius, said Thursday she was relieved the officer's last name has been released. I just wanted a name associated with my child being murdered, she said, but added that she feels the situation wasn't handled properly. I want the departments all over to acknowledge they have a problem, she said. There is, these are human lives. There are a number of things they could have done before they used lethal force. Dormia said her grandson Cody had been staying with his father, has been staying with his father, who she said is a former county police officer. Gaines's cousin, uh, Creo Brady, said he felt it was almost like a spit in the face that the full name of the officer was not made public. He said he believes an independent agency should investigate the shooting. It's been really hard on the family, he said. It's just a tragedy that needs to bring about change and accountability. County Councilman Julian Jones, who represents Randallstown, said he continues to hear from community members asking about the shooting. He plans to hold an informational meeting for residents at 6 p.m. September 22nd at the Randallstown Community Center. We hope that it gives an opportunity for the police department to come and explain to the community what happened, Jones said. Baltimore County's state attorney's Scott Schellenberger's office will review the shooting to determine whether to bring criminal charges once police send his office uh, send his office the investigative file. We're waiting on a couple more pieces of investigative items that have to be done. Schellenberger said Thursday. He declined to elaborate on what those are. In 2007, Ruby was one of the two tactical officers who shot at a suicidal 24-year-old man uh, in the 8700 block of Avondale Road in Parkville, police said. The shooting was ruled legally justified. The person killed in that shooting was identified as Adam Benjamin Rothstein. According to police, Rothstein called 911 and said he was armed with guns, knives, pepper spray, and a taser. They said officers found him at Parkville Middle School and negotiations began speaking with him. Negotiators began speaking with him. Police said Rothstein pointed a weapon at officers at 3.29 a.m. after giving them an ultimatum that he would start shooting at 3.30 a.m. if he didn't get what he wanted. Later, police discovered the weapon was a BB gun. It's just very hard for me to talk about, said Richard Rothstein, Adam Rothstein's father. When reached for, by phone Thursday, he declined to comment further. At the time, police said Adam Rothstein might have been agitated over issues surrounding a recent job loss. Richard Rothstein told the Baltimore Sun in 2007 that his son had been rehired as a security guard and was expected to start work the week he was shot. He said his son, his son suffered from bipolar disorder. So again, you can find this article at the Baltimore Sun, and uh, this uh, came out, um, excuse me, uh, this came out uh, very recently. I'm looking for the, the date here. Uh, September 1st. So this came out yesterday. Uh, 
and again, I mean, these stories keep on coming out, and these officers, it's it's again and again. And again, if you want to go to, um, not if you want to, just suggesting folks can check out The Counted, which is a project that's been happening, uh, happened last year, it's been ongoing uh, last year and this year by The Guardian, and they keep track of murders by law enforcement, because there has been no record of that, and they track as much information as they can um, based on whatever information they can find. And uh, let's see how many folks have been murdered by law enforcement this year so far. It rises, and it's really astounding. And again, these are just like the number that has been reported to this um, this project. So if you go to theguardian.com, you can check it out. So, so far, people killed in 2016 by police officers in the United States is 730. 730 people so far this year have been murdered by police officers in the U.S. Um, that's a hell of a lot of people. And they also, they track race and ethnicity, they track by state, and they also have, uh, with more information, they have whether folks were armed or unarmed, uh, gender, age, uh, classification. Um, So there's a lot of information, and it's really, um, it's just heartbreaking to see uh, the faces and the names of all these people whose lives have been taken, loved ones who have been taken um, by, by police in the United States. And so, yeah, 730 just so far in 2016. So imagine what this has been like throughout, you know, in the nation, through the decades, through the century, through the, you know, since the police force has been here. Think of all the number of people who have been murdered by police. Fuck. All right. Deep breath in, deep breath out. Oh. People are beginning to wake up, and that's um, one positive side to this, is that people are beginning to acknowledge that this is happening and uh, I feel I, I oftentimes it's difficult to get into conversations with people who, who want to really defend the police and I feel it's it's you know you're defending someone who's following orders and that's really hard to take and I think about a lot of people you know reference the the 30s in Germany and uh, you know when folks folks out there were the, were the folks there defending Nazis saying oh they're just doing their jobs they're just following orders and I, and especially given that there are many folks, white supremacists within law enforcement, I, it's I, very easy to see the comparisons. Very, very easy to see the comparisons. And also just speaking with a lot of people, more people I know than not have had negative experiences with law enforcement. So again, the idea is to, is to defund law enforcement, is to find alternatives. And there are a lot of alternatives. And people say, well, what do you do? And there are alternatives. And I posted something recently on my Facebook page, and you can check it out there. And it's uh, what to do to, you know, to not, uh, what to do instead of calling police. And there's a lot of, a lot of options here. And uh, there's a guide, a syllabus, a conversation, a process. And uh, there's a theoretical starting piece uh, place from Taj James on Facebook. And there's also just there's links to uh, articles on truth out a new year's resolution don't call the police justice in policing alternatives to policing as well as rose city cop watch mcgill daily has they also have alternatives to the police audrey lord projects safer party toolkit um how to run a safe party that doesn't need police presence to maintain safety and there's also a version that's in uh, spanish uh big dreams and bold steps toward a police free future and that's from truth out the atlantic 
calling someone other than the cops. Uh, WeChargeGenocide.org, Chain Reaction, Alternatives to Policing, Creative Interventions Toolkit, uh, Critical Resistance Abolitionist Toolkit, Imagine Alternatives, Finding Ways Not to Call Police, uh, from Caroline Loomis, uh, Insights, Stop Law Enforcement Toolkit, Insights, Community Accountability Best Practices, Nashville Feminist Collective, uh, Feminism in a Prison Nation, which is an amazing resource list examining carceral feminism and approach to gender-based violence that sees the criminal legal system as the primary solution. Policing is a dirty job and no one's got to do it. Six ideas for a cop-free world. That was an article in Rolling Stone. Stop violence every day. Another project of critical interventions. Lots of stories of folks intervening in partner abuse and sexual assault. Ten lessons for creating safety without police. A reflection in ten years of the SOS Collective. The Revolution Starts at Home. That's a book co-authored by Leah Lakshmi, uh, Piepsna, um, Samara, uh, Samara Sin, uh, uh, Ching In Chen, and Jay Dulani. I apologize uh, for if I mispronounce any names. Um, about imbu- abuse inside activist communities and how folks have dealt with it without the cops. And it was out of print. Now it's back in print. There's a transformative justice resource list. USPrisonCulture.com. Uh, Vicky Law. Resisting Gender Violence Without Cops or Prisons, What to Do When Someone Is Having a Mental Health Crisis on the Street, and that's SF Bay Area Specific. There's also a list, Alternatives to Policing Projects, Organizations and Tools. There's a whole lot of resources here, um, because when I say, hey, how about a world without police? People say, what are the alternatives? And that's the thing. It's like we tear something down, something else needs to be in place. And so really grateful that this is here. And again, thanks. Um, Annie Danger is the one who shared this. So thank you, Annie. And for all the folks, I'm sure so many folks who have shared, ah, I'm reaching the end of the show. So getting, uh, getting, ah, I'll, yeah. So I'm going to share this right now on the weekly review webpage. So if you are listening and you didn't have a chance to write it all down and, or you want links to actually click on and, or to share this with people, you can do that. So go to weekly review uh, page, which is at, Facebook.com slash Weekly Rev, and you can check it out right there. I'll be finishing up the show with a couple of upcoming events that folks can check out. In addition to the Stopping Urban Shield on September 9th, there's a few more awesome events happening. (laughs) Wow, I'm doing a lot of talking here. So, um, okay, moving along. There, uh, there's an upcoming event that's specifically going to talk about, um, ending, uh, stopping alternatives to calling police. Also, briefly, a Democracy Now!, there's an article folks should check out a little bit late to get to it right now, but it's called, uh, it's called, <laughs> it's, an, it's an article, report, more than two dozen banks financing Dakota Access Pipeline. Uh, Bank of America, HSBC, UBS, Goldman Sachs, Wells Fargo, JP Morgan, Chase, and other financial institutions have combined extended a $3.75 billion credit line to Energy Transfer, the parent company of the Dakota Access Pipeline. So again, you can check this out at, at Democracy Now! for that full-on list. Um, moving along to the upcoming events I was speaking about for folks to to show up. And also, it was the 50th anniversary of the Compton Cafeteria Riots. So there was an awesome uh, event at Bodecker Park this past weekend. So big love to all the organizers, uh, Gwen Park, Danny Castro, Stormy Gell. Um, so many folks who were there. Um, Ashley Love did a lot of work promoting it as well. So And the elders, um, oh, thank you so much. This was fucking awesome. So, yeah, 
very cool having to yeah feel the need to, to talk about that again you know every every week there's so much more to to talk about and it's hard to get to everything but when i get to as much as possible <sighs> breathe in breathe out so as i move along getting to the next um events to promote one is know your rights for social uh, movement photographers and again i was talking earlier about i don't necessarily take sometimes i'll take photos but usually i don't um, because there's other people taking photos. And I think it's really important to document. I saw this awesome documentary footage of the White Knight Riots from 1979. And, you know, folks are more able to be engaged when we don't have our phones out. And again, it's really important. I mean, it was awesome to see the folks there with cameras so they could be actually, you know, years later, decades later, this happened before I was born, to see this footage. I think it's really important to document it. And I think it's also important just to be present. So if folks are documenting, it's great to have a lot of people documenting it. And then also to recognize if other people are documenting it, um, one can if you're if you're on the fence about whether or not to document it if other people are i think it's important just to kind of be active and be present and to do that so at the asian resource gallery this is wednesday september 14th so a week from this wednesday um from 6 to 9 p.m uh, know your rights for social movement photographers really awesome and interesting and important photographers know your rights when you cover marches demonstrations and other movement actions know how to protect yourself who is on your side and where the lines are in the real world have you ever wondered can police confiscate my camera or images i know that for me they sure as hell have tried <sighs> fuckers oh, man i was trying to be all civil today and i the more it's just yeah it's really disgusting it's super disgusting they will try i've had I'm not even getting into my own personal experiences, um, but yeah, I'm going to continue. I'm, I'm going to be like totally objective here and just read the rest of these invites <laughs> and then I'll wrap up the show. I'm getting a little bit worked up here. I'm getting worked up. Okay. Have you ever wondered, can police confiscate my camera or images? What are my rights to photograph or film police themselves? Is it safe to stay after a disparal, a disparal order? <sighs> What additional rights, if any, does a press pass confer? We'll hear from activist photographers, seasoned photojournalists, and movement lawyers on these questions and more. Even if you don't consider yourself a photographer, but take cell phone pics, video at protests, this workshop is for you too. Super awesome, super rad. At, this, at the workshop, we'd love to digitally display photos that participants have taken at protests, marches, rallies, and direct actions. Not required, but bonus points if they feature interactions with law enforcement officers. If you'd like your photos included in the slideshow, please email one to three, not more, of your favorite shots to movementphotographer at gmail.com. Let's see who's on the phone. Mutiny Radio. Hello? Hi, yes, Mutiny Radio. Can you hear me? Uh, yes, we can. Okay. Um, uh, the uh, open mic that you guys have tonight, uh, is there an age limit? Uh, nope. Okay. Um, and are there still available, uh, like, is there still, uh, like, can I sign up if I, if I come early? Uh, you should be able to, yeah, you should be able to come early and sign up. Okay. All right. Thank you. Sure thing. And that's my good deed of the day. Moving along. Uh, okay. So you can bring in your photos, et cetera, et cetera. 
at the workshop, we love to digitally display photos that participants have taken at marches, da da da, one to three. Okay, so you can email one to three, not more, of your favorite shots to movementphotographer at gmail.com. This is sponsored by Class Conscious Photographers, Silicon Valley Debug, and Pacific Media Workers, CWA Local 39521. For more information, contact Brooke Anderson at movementphotographer at gmail.com, and the number is 510. 510- Eight four six zero seven six six or David Bacon at dbacon at igc.org, 510-851-1589. And again, um, there is a Facebook invite with all that info I just read, and it's called Know Your Rights for Social Movement Photographers. Really interesting. And this is happening again Wednesday, September 14th, 6 to 9 p.m. at the Asian Resource Gallery. And that is in Chinatown in Oakland. And that is, looks like right around 9th Street. Um, yeah, so again, if you look up uh, Asian Resource Gallery, you can find the um, exact address. It's not quite included here. But yeah, pretty awesome. Really cool to have those resources. Really, really, really cool. I have, t- I've, you know, sometimes I have my phone with me, sometimes I don't. And um, it's awesome to know what folks can do now in the age where many folks have are able to record this. I think that's that's awesome. And a couple weeks after that, um, there's another event that I'm going to promote as soon as I pull it up online and can read from it uh, uh, all that info. <laughs> Woo, what a show. September 24th, How Not to Call the Police Ever workshop. And this is going to get a ton of people. I think it's so far 217 people have already said that they're going and one thousand and three one thousand three hundred are interested so it's going to be packed this is saturday september 24th from 3 p.m to 6 p.m at the um at the answer coalition office in san francisco which is at 2969 mission street save the date how not to call the cops and courts ever workshop featuring the poor unhoused disabled black brown indigenous elder and youth leaders artists cultural workers of poor magazine uh, Prensa Pobre, Poor News Network, PNN, Homefulness, who have practiced this concept for 20 years, even throughout their own collective traumas, colonization, gentrification, family violence, eviction, incarceration, displacement, and betrayal, and the attempted takedown of the landless people's movement called Homefulness. Uh, walking this walk among a poor and indigenous peoples-led movement means facing our demons all the time, because we all come out of collective trauma experiences of racism, white supremacy, ableism, family violence, false borders, eviction, houselessness, criminalization, elder child abuse, sexual violence, rape, incarceration, police violence, genderism, hate crimes, and so much more. This workshop will include and launch an ongoing teaching on poor people's, traumatized people's accountability, how to redefine a Western white supremacist notion of security and hold each other through trauma and into a true definition of interdependent safety. The workshop will feature extended family members and family elders from the Idris Steli Foundation, ISF, Crip Hop Nation, uh, Sogoria T. Uh, Land Trust, I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing, and Poor Magazine's Family Elder Council, Elephant Council, where decisions are made, and Revolutionary Building Circle at Homefulness, Food, and much more. An important reminder to please come scent-free, no smoking near the venue, and again, please avoid having smoke fragrance on your clothing. Scented audience members will be directed to a scented section. Spread the news. Please email poormag at gmail.com to register in the Herstory Making Workshop. 
And again, you can find all this info and the Facebook invite if you type in How Not to Call the Police Ever Workshop. Again, happening Saturday, September 24th from 3 to 6 p.m. at the Answer Coalition office in San Francisco, located at 2969 Mission Street. Yeah! Got a lot of good information out today. Feeling good about that. Uh, themes of the show. Jeez. Well, the themes are um, folks speaking up, um, folks coming together, finding alternatives. I know I complain a lot and talk a lot about things that are really unjust, and it's great to find solutions. And uh, my hat is off. I don't wear a hat usually. <laughs> when I'm cold, I do. But um, just uh, hats off, I guess that's expression. Um, but just... Um, sending much gratitude and love to all the folks who are speaking out, all the journalists who are actively being journalists and, and talking about what's happening, um, holding cops accountable, working towards that, um, working to end the military, like the military industrial complex, working to create a world that's where the earth is cared for, where humans are cared for, um, where we can live and take care of each other. Um, I have so much love and respect for everyone out there who's doing that and everyone who's come before who has done that. Uh, we're all standing on the shoulders of giants and many of whom are among us now. So I feel uh, the very least the very least I can do is just even speak about it, which I know is, is tiny, 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 tiny comparative, comparatively to what so many folks have done and given up their lives for so we can all ideally live in a better world where everyone is treated fairly and without weapons and without militarized law enforcement here or abroad. That being said, do what you can, have conversations, check out some of the resources I mentioned online, um, do what you can and when you can and love each other and all that kind of <laughs> gooey, good, fun stuff. Um, ending the show with some more Pansy Division. Coming up next is Women's Magazine with Global Val. It's Global Val's birthday. Also, I uh, can't end the show without sending out love to the DeGeorge family. Um, earlier this year, lost a wonderful friend and person, uh, Jessica DeGeorge, and today, uh, today is her birthday. So sending so much love to Jess out there and her family and um, just so much love um, for everything that she gave and has done and for all the folks out there. Uh, we're thinking of you. And... Um, yeah, oh, oh, yeah, um, wanna end on a nice, happy, happy song, and some of these songs, I think I played some of the more positive ones earlier, um, so we'll play a little bit, and if it feels like, hmm, then I'll change it to a different one, so, uh, yeah, here's a, lots oh, a sad song, I'm gonna, you know what, we're gonna do something uh, a little bit different, so I'm not gonna do pains of division. Gonna do uh, some instrumental, some classical. This is uh, Christopher O'Reilly. Have a lovely week, everyone, and we'll be back. I won't be back next week, but there will be some good things happening here at Mutiny Radio. So stay tuned, everyone, and have a wonderful weekend. <laughs>